I don't know if I will ever forget the day in December in 2008 when my brother called and told me that our brother had died that morning. He had taken a vacation with his wife down to Florida two weeks before Christmas. And they were set to come home that day. Went to bed at night. They'd had a nice party with family and celebration of his son-in-law's schooling and accomplishments. Never woke up. During the night, he suffered a massive heart attack and died. A young man. He was my age. (laughs) 67 years old. Good health. Had just visited the doctor a few weeks previously. Underwent a stress test and all kinds of examination and declared fit and healthy. I remember it fell upon my shoulders because I had the care of my father at the time to break the news to him about the death of his second born son some of you know that pain you know the pain of loss of a loved one a husband, spouse maybe not children yet but that certainly is a possibility isn't it I mean the longer we live the more likely it is that we would see the death of a child that brings a unique sorrow doesn't it I observed it with my father (coughs) it just broke his heart the grief and the sorrow at the loss of his son I've observed it with others when that has occurred and sometimes anger accompanies grief Anger at someone who may have caused the death, like an accident. Or perhaps a a failure on the part of, of someone to provide the proper care for the one who died, maybe from illness or some unfortunate event in life. And sometimes within us, anger can well up against that person for failing to take care of the one we love. We can also exhibit anger towards God. How could God do this? I thought we read in the Bible of God as a loving God. And how could this fit that description? And we fall prey to the temptation of anger towards God for doing something that we think unfortunate and unwarranted. It can also bring about breaches in relationships. Sometimes it causes withdrawal. We just pull away from people. Don't want to communicate with family and friends. So we pull in. And don't fellowship or meet with those who love us and would want to encourage us and help us during a time of great stress and trial the Bible gives to us a description of a man who went through that on one unfortunate day he lost all seven 
of his children at one time. Take your copy of the verses and let's read the description of those events. And we'll use him as a little bit of a foundation as to how we can respond to the loss of a child. Maybe not an infant child, although that certainly does happen, but a grown-up child. How would we respond? And we read about Job and the event in his life. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. I said seven or ten that he lost all at one time. Down towards the end of the first chapter we read, starting in verse 18, it says, While he was speaking, someone had come to inform Job of how his children had lost all of their cattle, all of their livestock. Enemies had come in and had stolen them away and taken them to a far land. That was bad enough news. But now comes the worst news. While this first messenger was yet speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Can you imagine such a devastating event? Your family all gathering together at a time of of great rejoicing. And you glad that they had gathered together for that time together as family, brothers and sisters and family, only to hear of disaster. Disaster that took the lives of every one of the ones that you loved. Notice Job's response. It actually falls into a couple of different sections. The first section we see is his grief. And who wouldn't grieve at such a loss? You know, there are those who would somehow teach us that when we lose one whom we love, whether a spouse or a child, we should not grieve. Oh, God never said that. God never said, don't grieve over the loss of one you love. Job grieved. And when it says he worshipped, that is a word that describes that he fell on his face. That's what that word worship means. He fell down on his face. In sorrow and in grief and in agony of soul and mind and heart over the loss of ones he loved. But notice the second part that follows after it, his response to the loss. 
He said, I was born naked, I'll die naked. I came into this world with nothing, I will leave this world with nothing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he refused to express anger towards God for the devastation of his family. How could he do that? How could Job respond in the midst of such agony of heart and mind? Respond in that fashion? Well, I suggest to you one reason why was because he knew the cause of death. Oh, I don't speak here of the storm that came that took their lives, but the reason why men and women die. Why do we die? We all die. Right now, we live. But the day will come when our lives will end. And we know that. We've seen that with family and friends. And all about us, people die. And we know that awaits us. But why? Why do we die? I would recall to your mind a number of studies we've had over the recent months describing God's creation, how He created the world and everything in it. And on the sixth day He created man. And He placed man in the garden in Eden. Righteous, upright. And He gave to him a series of commands and directions on how God intended for him to live. One of them came with a warning. In the middle of the garden, Adam, there are two trees. One of them is the tree of life. You could eat of that one. Next to it is another tree. It's called the knowledge of good and evil. That one you may not eat. In the day that you eat of that tree, dying you will die. There came a day in the lives of Adam and his wife Eve when the serpent came and tempted them to eat of that tree and they disregarded God's command and warning and they ate of that tree and dying they began to die. And ultimately they died. And thus is followed down through the centuries. All men die. We die because of sin. If you look at your scriptures, Romans 5.12 describes to us why that is. It says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Men and women, children, young people, old people, healthy people, sick people, we all die because of sin. And we have inherited, each one of us have inherited that sinful, frail human nature passed on to us 
down through the centuries coming from Adam and Eve because they sinned against God. Job knew that. Job understood that. Furthermore, as he understood that death came upon all men because of the justice of God, God's justice, that was the punishment for disobedience, God meets out that justice upon all men. We also see in Job's response, however, that he recognized God's sovereign control over all events in life and death. Notice his response. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. That's hard for us to understand, isn't it? But the scriptures teach us clearly that God has numbered our days. And Job mentions that throughout his writing, the story of his, of his events and his life and, and the sufferings that he endured. He knew that God was the one who numbered the days, his days, and the days of those whom he loved. He said, God's numbered our days. He's counted my steps. And he's numbered my months. He's numbered your days as well. He's numbered my days. I don't know when that day will come. Nor do you. Know the day and time for you. God has numbered it. And in his sovereign plan and purpose, the day will arrive when he will bring death to you. And as we contemplate the loss of those whom we love, especially our children, we must remember, like Job did, God has numbered their days as well. And for reasons which we cannot understand, and which God cannot make clear to us at this time, He, in His sovereign plan and purpose for them, brought death to their lives. And as we begin to evaluate and contemplate God's sovereign plan, not only over our lives, but of our children's lives as well, and even our grandchildren, we can begin to grieve in a fashion that can accept God's direction in ways that we do not understand. That challenges our faith, doesn't it? Yes, it does. That challenges our faith. And in a sense, God says to us, you have said that you trust me. Do you still trust me? Even in circumstances as troubling and as sorrowful as the loss of one you love like a child or a spouse, and you can't make any sense out of it, do you still love me? Do you still trust me? Even though I have permitted such a trial to come into your life, 
Job said, I trust you. I don't understand it. I'm sorrowful, but I trust you. I will not bring a charge against you. And as you read through the whole book of Job, you'll find that at no time did Job bring a charge against God for what he permitted to come into his life. Because of the certainty of death, we must prepare for it. Now perhaps you have made arrangements for that day. How you would like your family to remember you on that day. Maybe you've even written it out. Maybe you've even talked to your children and family and said, Now when I die, this is what I want you to do and how I want you to respond to my death. But there's a far more important preparation that we must make than that, although that certainly would prove helpful to your family. Of far greater importance is the preparation of our spiritual lives. Because we know the certainty of death. We've observed that. And we know that for ourselves. We don't like to think about it very often, but we know that it's true. That day will come. I've got a verse I want us to read that talks about that very certainty. Hebrews 9.27 It is appointed for man to die and after that the judgment. Now that verse reminds us of two certainties. One of them is the certainty of death. We will die. But what then? Oh, the judgment. A day will come when every one of us must stand before the judge and give an account to the judge for how we lived. And he will judge us. And the scriptures give us plenty of instances of that, of that occasion yet into the future. In one way, Jesus described it as, When I return, I will gather everyone together, and we will meet in judgment, and on my right hand I will separate the sheep. They will go to my right hand, and to my left hand I will separate from them, and they will be the goats. And the goats I will cast into outer darkness, and the sheep will join with me in life everlasting that was the picture Jesus used to describe it a day of judgment a day of separation sheep from goats his children from those who were not his children the scriptures tell us very clearly that that day will come how then do we prepare for that day how can we prepare for that day That day when we will stand before the judge of all the earth. Well, first it would help us to know the name of the judge. We read in the papers oftentimes of celebrated 
crimes. And it tells us the judge who will arbitrate the case. And we can recognize the name of the judge. Well, at that day, when we stand before the judge, we will stand before no other person than the Lord Jesus himself. God has appointed him as the judge. Now, in our day, we also have some occasions when we discover that those who come before a judge have bribed the judge have somehow made a deal with the judge, either by friendship or by some prior knowledge and experience with the one before them. And the judge gives a generous sentence, perhaps even dismissing it. Well, wouldn't it be nice to stand before the judge of all the earth and know the judge not only know the judge but also have the judge also be your attorney the one who will defend you who will represent you before himself as the judge and who on the one hand will defend you and on the other will then pass not guilty just free you can you can know the judge and you can know the attorney who will represent you that is none other than the Lord Jesus as well for God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved And Jesus himself said, The Father has sent me to become a sacrifice on your behalf, on behalf of people like you and like me. And he paid the penalty that you and I justly deserve to pay. Not just physical death, but that eternal death and damnation, separation from God. We deserve that penalty as well. Oh, but Jesus came and he suffered and he died on behalf of people like you and like me. That all those who trust in him will stand before the judge represented by himself, the attorney, who will declare you righteous. Now the scriptures describe that very clearly. One of them we have in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Paul is making reference to his ethnic heritage. Then he goes on and says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. You cannot do anything to satisfy the judge. No works can you do will he find acceptable and satisfactory. We are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. And then Paul wrote again to some other friends in a different city to the people of Rome and he wrote the same thought again slightly different words but I want us to read that one as well and notice that same emphasis he wrote to his friends at Rome and he said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus we can stand before the judge on that day when God in his sovereign plan has given the final number for us and we leave this human existence and we immediately join into that eternal existence every bit is real awaiting the day that we will stand before the judge knowing that we can stand before the judge justified declared without sin have you done that? have you made that preparation? a preparation of greater importance than simply a funeral service? because this will determine your eternal destiny these truths point out to us that whether we examine the death unfortunate as it may come into the life of a child or an adult younger than us it comes through the hands of God's sovereign control and because it comes through his sovereign control we can trust God that he will work all things for good there's one verse I skipped over that I want us to see while we come to a close 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 and 4 it says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction that word comfort describes someone who comes up to you and puts their arm around you and holds you close and tight a comforter one to encourage a comforter and notice it says in all our affliction that describes those events in life that cause pain those occasions that bring about sorrow and sadness God the God of all comfort comes and puts his arm around those with sorrow and encourages them and comforts them but I want you to notice the great qualifier for Paul is not writing to everyone in Corinth he's writing only to believers in Corinth because he describes them as 
us. Us. And if you go back to the beginning of the first chapter and the first verses, you are seeing, you will see that he describes, he has written to those who have come to faith in Christ. We, like Job, can experience God's comfort in the midst of the most troubling of circumstances. Those of us who know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Have you made that preparation? How can we prepare? What can we do to make preparation for that day? Not just that day here on earth when we need God's comfort in a time of sorrow, but that day when we will stand before the judge. We read the verses. We must turn from all self-reliance. We must turn aside from all self-righteousness, my goodness, and turn and trust exclusively the Lord Jesus who came, suffered, died, rose again and now lives at the right hand of God the Father to make intercession for His children. Those who trust Him. You all know the verse, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How can you prepare? Follow that verse. Trust Jesus. Claim for yourself that which He said the Father sent Him to do on behalf of people like you. And claim it for yourself. And say, Lord Jesus, I trust You for what You did 2,000 years ago for me. I pray that the Spirit of God will open your eyes to see these truths as to how you can prepare for that last day and will bring you to faith and trust upon the Lord Jesus. The only provision that God has made for sinners like you and me So that on that day of judgment you will have not only the judge, but the judge himself as your defender. Declaring you as one of those sheep who will enter into everlasting life with him. I pray the Spirit of God will bring that into your life today. Let's close in prayer.